This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. The vast majority of us will blessedly never know the pain of having a person we love vanish without a trace. For those that have, the experience can often feel divorced from reality. It definitely felt like a movie. It didn't feel real. It still doesn't feel real, to be quite honest. It feels like since this year started, it's, it's pressed action and we're just still rolling. For Robbie Hives, the nightmare began with a Facebook message sent on a cold December night in 2022. His brother Daniel was missing. And in the days, weeks and months since, Robbie has found himself having to juggle his job as a fairground worker with days spent fielding calls from police, organising poster campaigns and doing everything he can to keep his brother's trail from going cold. Almost a year later, Robbie still feels like a character in a work of fiction. And all he wants now is to know how the story ends. I'm Pandora Sykes, and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series produced by What's the Story Sounds, and brought to you with help from the charities Missing People and Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Daniel Hives. So we were all born in like Coventry around the West Midlands and then we moved down to Norfolk, like Norwich, and we were raised there through primary school and part of secondary school and then moved back up to Coventry again for work. And yeah, that's where we've split from since then. (laughs) Daniel's younger brothers looked up to him, as younger siblings are wont to do. He was the one we tailed around like a lost sheep. (laughs) He was always like, as such, the leader of the pack, you know, you know, the the one to look up to, to follow in his footsteps kind of thing. So we did, we were all quite close when we were younger. Obviously, as we as we grew apart and we moved, we, we did start losing a bit of contact, but we've always been in contact or at least known we're safe, you know, kind of thing. As children, they chased each other around the estate, climbed trees and got into the occasional spot of good-natured trouble. One thing in particular they had in common was their love of horses. We used to do the horses quite a lot, to be fair. We used to do um, like friendly competitions when we were all younger, like us three lads, uh, and that kind of been our little thing for quite a good, good few years. The boys got their love of horse riding from their grandmother, 
she always has horses. We kind of followed it through with her. Uh, my dad did do some here and there as well. Obviously, that's how we kind of knew about it in the first place as such, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, it, it was mainly through, through our nan that we got to do all of that. They regularly saddled up and took to the local track for races, show jumping events and even dressage from time to time. Your dressage is where you try and look a bit more as such prim and proper with your horse and it's more presentation than, than what you're as such doing, if that makes sense. Not a guru on it, so don't hold me to any of it, mind. <laughs> and they were nothing if not competitive. We, wa we wanted to be the best, obviously. You know, whoever had the most trophies at the end of the season, you know, that was the person to beat the next year. Daniel was an outgoing guy. He was definitely a social butterfly. He, he was a typical lad, you know, one of the lad's lads. He loved his, his climbing, you know, his consoles, his football. Couldn't ever get him away from the football. Like many people his age... Daniel felt slightly adrift after leaving school, although he was very happy to wave goodbye to revision, stuffy classrooms and early starts. I'd definitely say he was looking for the freedom of adulthood as such, if that makes sense. You know, he didn't really like to be stuck or felt like he was stuck somewhere. You know, he'd like to be exploring. He liked to be out there a lot. He wanted to, to become a PE teacher. I know that. He had a bit of a, a rocky start after school. He never knew what he exactly wanted to do, so he never had a fixed route. He, he wanted to explore as many options as he could. Sometimes, this apparent lack of direction led to clashes between Daniel and his parents. I would just say normal, you know, household, you know, father-son, mother-son arguments. You know, it wasn't anything out of the, the ordinary. It, it's just... Just the way a teen grows, I suppose, you know, I, I had the same, I was here, there and everywhere at, at one point, you know, so it is just, I suppose, more the teens kind of pushing for what they want in, in that kind of respect. Daniel had a girlfriend and the pair of them decided to move to Preston together. It was a four hour drive from the family home in Coventry and his brothers reluctantly made peace with the fact that they'd be seeing a lot less of him going forward. But Daniel came back to see his family whenever he could get away. It was never like he ever forgot us, you know. It was always within a few months we'd see him again. You know, when he first left, it was, I think, two months to the day he left. You know, he'd come back down to say hello, you know, spend the, the afternoon with us and then go back up, you know, his way. Or, like, he'd never forget our birthdays. He'd always come down for them. He was always a, a family-orientated person. Robbie remembers these reunions fondly. We'd go out for meals and stuff. Sometimes it'd just be me, Dan and Josh, you know, just the lads. Um, we'd definitely be getting up to stuff that our mum wouldn't let us be doing, you know. <laughs> a few cheeky drinks, go to a shooting range or something, you know, random, random lad things like that. Robbie and his siblings would ask Daniel questions about his new life in Preston, but their brother was something of a closed book, and he'd always bring the conversation back round to them as soon as he could. You know, he was very always like, if he was around, he wasn't around for long, and he knew that, he wanted to concentrate on us. They would have loved nothing more than for him to come back to Coventry, but after a while, they could sense that his heart 
was now elsewhere. Everybody has their one place that they feel most at home and that's where they built their life. It was definitely Preston for him. Daniel's determination to forge his own path was an attitude his siblings understood perfectly. We were all quite stubborn with the whole family is. We're very headstrong. We're going to do this and we're going to do it ourselves kind of thing. So I think in that kind of respect, we all do kind of take more of a, a lone wolf approach to everything, if that makes sense. You know, we know we've got everybody if we need them, but we do like to try and stab it stab it ourselves first and give it a go. Over the next decade, life carried on and much changed. Daniel had a child with his partner, a boy. A few years later, they split up and she came back to Coventry while Daniel relocated to Lancaster. He, he was always trying to be with his son at all times. You know, it's just stuff happens in life, doesn't it? Sadly... He hadn't got to see him much because of whatever was going on between them two. But he always, obviously, we, we were always there to keep him updated. You know, if he had anything he wanted to say to him, then we'd make sure it got to him, you know, kind of thing. Robbie saw less and less of his brother, but they kept loosely in touch, exchanging the occasional text. Meanwhile, Robbie finished school and he got himself a job at a travelling fairground. He travelled all over the UK setting up and running attractions, before packing it all up and moving on to the next location. In fact, the night that Robbie first learned that his brother was missing, he was at work. I was in Newbury on a big wheel. It, it was about, I'd say, 11, 12 o'clock on the 11th. As smiling punters made gentle revolutions around the Ferris wheel, the cheerful music blasting from the loudspeakers mingling with the sound of laughter and the noise of umpteen other attractions, Robbie found himself absent-mindedly checking his phone. Suddenly, he came across a strange Facebook message. It was from a woman named Chantal, a close friend of Daniel's, and it wasn't good news. Far from it, in fact. Chantal had gotten in touch to say that Daniel, now 28, had been involved in an altercation whilst visiting friends in Lancaster, and he hadn't been seen since. It was definitely two different extremes in emotions, if that makes sense. You know, it's a very happy atmosphere of a fairground, and, you know, it's quite a nice, nostalgic kind of feeling. And then, bang, you get one text message that literally flips it completely upside down. So, it, it, it was a lot. Robbie read and reread the message his chest tightening with every word. Luckily, to be fair, I did have somebody else there with me, so I kind of just mentioned I needed, you know, some time, uh, took myself away and kind of just tried to sort that side of things out and get onto it and find out as much as I could possibly find out in the quickest amount of time, you know. As it turned out, Daniel had been missing since the previous night, when Chantal had first sent the message. She and Robbie weren't friends on Facebook. So obviously it went to my message quest and I hadn't checked it yet. Robbie's a self-confessed true crime fan and he knows how vital those first few days after someone goes missing are. By the time he learned of his brother's disappearance, Daniel had already been missing for over 24 hours. Robbie eventually got on the phone with Chantal and she filled him in on what had happened. 
So as far as I'm aware of the events, Daniel was at a party on the Saturday night, I believe, to watch the football. The venue in question was a flat in City View in Lancaster City Centre. He got into an altercation with, I believe, someone in the in the flat originally. That escalated to outside. Then, obviously, a few words were exchanged. The confrontation intensified, and Daniel, pursued by two men, ran in the direction of the Loon, a 53-mile-long river which originates in Newbiggin on Loon in Cumbria, before eventually entering the Irish Sea, roughly seven kilometres from Lancaster. What's strange about the chase is that one of the two men who pursued Daniel was a close friend of his. They were like brothers, as far as I'm aware, yeah. As, as of what I've been told and, you know, from his friends and stuff, they were like stuck together by the hip. The other, as far as Robbie knows, has also not been seen since the day Daniel went missing. Daniel had a new girlfriend, and when he didn't return home the following day, she reported him missing to the authorities. I know that, especially for missing people cases, that the first 48 hours, no matter what, are the most crucial. I know I missed that as such period, but, you know, you just want to kind of full throttle. But Robbie was over 200 miles away from where Daniel was last seen. I've got to say, that did limit quite a lot. He wasn't familiar with the area, and the only friend of Daniel's he knew was Chantal. I wanted to go down there as soon as I could. You know, I, I wanted to go down there that day I found out. But Robbie was worried his being there would have a detrimental effect on both him and the search effort. Did I think that that was actually going to be helpful? No, not really, because I know what I'm like, I'm manic. So I'd have probably just got in people's way and probably made the situation a bit worse or, or something like that. So I ploughed myself into work. Whenever something like that happens, I work, work, work and work, so I don't have to think about it. So I was working through the day and then I'd be doing everything I could to forward Daniel's case and appeal as much as humanly possible. So there was a lot of obviously restless days where I was just going and going and going. The public awareness campaign for Daniel's disappearance got off to a rocky start. It struck quite a few of us that the police used his mugshot for it because obviously that tells you straight away there's something about this lad that maybe isn't all good, but then there isn't all good in everybody. When it came to getting in trouble with the authorities, Daniel had a bit of history. I'm not 100% sure as such on what he'd done or exactly dates on what it was from. I, I do think it was from a couple of years ago when he did get arrested. But, but again, I, I couldn't really tell you on what it was for. I didn't really want to lock it all up, to be honest. <laughs> The altercation that occurred in the flat on the night that Daniel went missing is thought to have been drug-related. As far as I'm aware, everybody at that flat got spoken to that night. But the police's takeaway from that initial investigation was that if anything had happened to Daniel, there was no foul play involved. The police never believed that Dan come to harm. Ultimately, Robbie and the rest of Daniel's family were understandably angry that the police had elected to use his mugshot. It does hurt to know that 
easily other photos could have been used. It was a hard thing to deal with and get help because people thought, wow, he's a criminal, you know? In general, it's difficult to generate publicity for missing person cases involving young men. I don't want to sound as such harsh, but obviously the women and the children, they get more as such priority in that respect. Add in Daniel's criminal past, and when it came to getting the public to care about his missing brother, Robbie felt up against it. Oh, wow. He's got a mugshot there. What's the point in helping him? You know, what's the point in finding him? Robbie made his feelings about this known to the authorities. I definitely had a good few words to say. Nevertheless, the search began, focusing mainly on the area around the flat nearest to the river. So some of the the units and the teams that the police got involved searching uh, for the search for Dan uh, were like the dog units, they got the drones out, underwater search teams with the marine units, Lancaster's air service and rescue they also did get out, National Police Air Service, Search Dog and Lancaster Fire and Rescue. They did get all these these people out, obviously didn't come up with with any anything that we we could get sadly Daniel's friends were able to give the authorities a decent account of what he was wearing on the night in question Dan was last seen wearing a blue Hugo Boss tracksuit with uh, black trainers we believe Nike his physique was quite slim you know he wasn't he's not a big big bloke he was quite slim he's six foot two he had brown hair and he's got a tattoo on the right side of his neck saying Shannon with a pixie ear, which is where it pinches at the top on the right side as well. But a thorough investigation of the CCTV in the area proved fruitless. But it was like he'd just vanished. Um, he didn't get picked up on any cameras uh, or any anything that, that we know of. We did have a, a lady, bless her, she uh, come in and said that she had a dash cam at that time and she, she thinks she may have possibly seen him. So we did try and get her to look at that, but sadly that we got we got all of it and uh, it, it, had erased, it, it had erased itself. She was driving that night, I believe. I don't actually know because we didn't get to see that night, but um, we, we do believe she was driving that night is what she said and she thought she'd seen him or somebody matching his description. But that was the only real kind of lead on on camera footage we had, and and sadly, we didn't get a chance to to see it. And a trace of Daniel's phone wasn't an option. We did believe at the time that he had his, his phone on him, but they later found that in the flat. So to our knowledge, he didn't have anything on him. Robbie did eventually get over to Lancaster. Quite late afterwards, it was about three months in the end that I went down and did our own searches. Where he had his first opportunity to properly meet his brothers in a circle. I've made a good few friends from it, to be quite honest. like He had a lovely group of people around him, just like himself. You know, Dan was always there to, to look out for everybody else. And all of the people that I met, they're the exact same. They wanted to do anything they could to help Daniel and find him, so it really did kind of give me a bit of a warmth while I was up there to be able to see that he did have that network behind him. Daniel's friends pitched in with the publicity effort 
which included a poster campaign and a walk, which took volunteers over the Millennium Bridge, a short distance from the flat he was last seen running from. We got posters printed fairly quickly. We had a lovely woman, bless her, print like a thousand posters for us while she was in work. So we started posting as soon as we could, anywhere we could. We got a banner together for the, for the walks. But it seems not everyone was on board with the effort to keep Daniel's name in the public eye. Sadly, a lot of what was getting put up got ripped down. I don't know whether it was people that maybe knew Dan and didn't like him. You know, that was maybe a reason why, or... I don't really know. It, 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 there had to be some sort of personal aspect against Daniel for them to rip his posters down, you know? It's not like it was a poster about a show that's happening. It, it, it's a person, you know? So there must have been some some sort of personal reason behind there, but couldn't obviously tell you what that was. Given his initial interactions with the police, Robbie has understandably mixed feelings about the investigation into his brother's disappearance. It's a very, like, bitter-sweet kind of thing to think about, you know, because you, you know that they are trying to do their jobs, you know. And yes, you may want more things to be done, but maybe those things can't be done for a reason. Then, just when Robbie thought he had run out of options he was contacted by someone who thought they might be able to help. So we had somebody comment on one of our posts about them being an under-search water team. Beneath the surface, a voluntary underwater sonar search and recovery dive team, based in Chorley, reached out to Robbie. They wanted to offer their help to search the River Loon. Myself and a few of his friends Um, We had places we wanted to go and search, you know. We'd had had asked the police, um, but obviously didn't know whether they had searched it or not, or if they found anything, if they hadn't. You know, we kind of just made it ourselves to go, we want to go and search these few places. And we we got together with with putting together a plan to to set up a date. If I remember right, there was a good four four of them. Um, They were a good-sized team, I believe. So it's um, a underwater search team uh, that use sonar imaging, I believe, to be able to see what's going on underneath and if there is anything, you know, trapped or bouncing off, they'll check exactly what it is, you know, pull it out. If it's all good, then it's all good, you know, and that, that's how they obviously find people. They were operating on the idea that had Daniel ended up in the loon, it would have taken him downstream, away from Lancaster City, en route to where the river meets the sea. There was a part of a river, like it like had two parallel streams and we had a feeling, don't know why, but we, we had a feeling that he could be somewhere around there. So they did that the first time for us. They searched that whole kind of strip for us and helped us on the, on the land as well next to it. We were quite a bit further off. I believe it's the aqueduct, if I remember rightly. Um, we were where it would have flown to, seeing if he had got like snagged on a few like vines or brambles, you know, or, or something that just wrapped him up. Sadly, no sign of Daniel was ever found. These days, 
the search has largely moved online to a Facebook group that Robbie set up and now monitors. So the page is uh, called Join the Search to Find Daniel Highs. It's on Facebook and we've managed to get a gathering of, of about 2,000, 2,500 people, you know. We, we've put updates, obviously, every time we have updates on there. We, we, we've put everything that we can put out to the to the public, you know. And a lot of the information and a lot of things that have maybe led to something else or, you know, it, a lot of it comes through social media. A lot of people don't read the newspapers or or read anything else like that, you know. Or So a lot of social media nowadays is the best way to push anything. You know, you keep sharing and sharing and sharing. You're going to get that out to thousands. Like we had a post on here, if I remember right, it was like 42,000 people it reached. Whether they had clicked on that and read that or just had a little skim over, it had reached them. You know, so that's another person that, that knows about it. And and that's the main thing you can do in any missing persons case is just awareness, awareness and awareness. Daniel has now been missing for almost a year. In that time, Robbie and his family have been contacted by several people purporting to have seen him. We've definitely had a few, but nothing that we thought is true. We had somebody telling us he was in France. They'd seen him in France six weeks ago and it just didn't match up with anything because six weeks ago was before he went missing. So you have the trolls, you have you have the fakes, you know what I mean? And, and they try and stir the pot and create a rise but it's just one of those things you know it doesn't make sense but I got to a point where I suppose if that's what makes you happy mate you do you I'll do me and I'll sort myself out you know kind of thing. Robbie has thought a lot about what he'd do if Daniel suddenly turned up out of the blue. What if I seen Dan now? I'd slap him and that is god honest truth. (laughs) I honestly would, because if he showed off after all this, right, I would not be impressed. No, I'm joking, obviously. No, I would, I just, I couldn't care less what we were doing, to be quite honest with you. just want to know where he is. I want to know where he's safe. At this point, Robbie would do just about anything to find out what happened to his brother. I know it may sound a bit harsh, but I couldn't really care if he comes back, just Tell me you're safe. You know, if you don't want to come back, don't come back. Just let somebody know you're safe. That's it. That, that, that is the main, main point of everything. Because there are a lot of, obviously, a lot of people have said to us, like, well, what happens if he doesn't want to come back? What happens if he's, he's run off for a reason? Well, if he has, we can still know you're safe. You know, you don't need to, to hide away in every aspect. In many cases, it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they crave. If you know what happened to Daniel, or you remember seeing someone like him, on December the 10th, 2022, your information could be vital. Even if you've never heard of Daniel Hives before listening to this episode, you could still help. The series is also made with the help of Missing People, a charity who offers support to the families of the missing. 
Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you have been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. Robbie hopes that the information will soon arrive to solve this one. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. Executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.